Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halper, Halford. Uh, happy Family Day, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on a holiday Monday with some uh, Canucks action coming up here in a couple of hours. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sophie, what are you waiting for? Kintech! Much better than there Alfred does. There you go. Does. Absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah. That was right there. Drew some applause. <laughs> that gave me <laughs> chills. Yeah. Wow. Goosebumps right. yeah. even. That was yeah. like the atmosphere in Rogers Arena on Saturday. It was just yeah. rowdy. Rowdy, yep. yeah. Well, look, Very rowdy. the Canucks, you know, they're going into crunch time. They got to raise their game. Uh, we got to raise our game here as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your What We Learned submissions in. I haven't counted, but uh, I'm going to hazard to say that we need more of them in the inbox. We'll do it at 930. Hashtag WWL. What you learned in the last uh, 24 hours, 72 hours of sports, really, over the weekend. People get lazy when we don't give away free stuff. Oh, yeah. It's a holiday well, Monday. Get, no giveaways. Yeah. Get on it, yeah. guys. Get yeah, on yeah. it. We've kind of trained them now to... You know, save your best stuff for the giveaways. Unless, and unless cost, you want to hear, cost like us dearly six spring training. What we learns from uh, Laddie. Get it. Get on it here. Yeah, it's 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 like training a dog. He's like, okay, send in what we learn. We'll give you a treat. Yeah, yeah, one treat. <laughs> and now it's like, hey, where's the treat? What's the yeah, deal? Yeah. I can do a goalie. What the... we learned. I can do a Korean baseball. What we learned. Oh I just gosh. keep going. Oh my gosh, uh, down right. the list. Uh, and right now, joining us on the uh, Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, uh, it is Kevin Woodley from NHL.com, In Goal Magazine. Kevin Woodley is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Uh, Kevin, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Can we talk about that? Like, the atmosphere was good on Saturday, but, like, did you notice how loud the True North chant was in the anthem? Like, there was a large number of Winnipeg, and then quiet. It's like the Prairie people are too polite. <laughs> like it was like there was a ton of Jets jerseys. The True North was super loud during the anthem, and then that was it. it Maybe was, they all passed out by the end of the game. I, the I Prairie people also like to get into it before the game. I will say, Kevin, I was watching it at a bar, and you know, great atmosphere at the bar. But there was a table with Jets jerseys right next to us, and like no chirping, no no celebrating whatsoever. So I mean, you might be onto something. Just too they're polite just, to celebrate the big win. I thought we were in. To an evening of go chet go jets go chance and it it is interesting though because I know ticket prices are up on the secondary market and everything and yet there's still large chunks of empty seats so I don't know if that's just a pricing thing but it's actually on Saturday night it surprised the hell out of me to be frank. Well, it's it's fascinating too because one you know the team has been so good this year and we're getting into that time that's a big game. It's also like the entertainment product at Rogers Arena has been off the charts this year. When you think of not just wins, but like really spectacular, entertaining games going back to the home opener, right, against uh, against the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, there have been some fantastic games. I do wonder if we start to see, because I think you're totally right about the empty seats there. If if come March, you know, when they have that nine-game and uh, nine-game homestand and the playoffs are really right around the corner, if we start to see that change a little bit here. I would think so. I like I said, I was I was pretty surprised to like. There's been a large number of visitor fans all year long, um, but I was surprised that I was surprised. I was surprised at Saturday. So we'll see, we'll see how this goes moving forward. Casey DeSmith confirmed to start today in Minnesota. Our, our own Dan Murphy reporting. 
DeSmith has given them some really good games. Have you, like, where, what, what would you say the state of his game is right now for Casey? He hasn't Smith? gotten results, but actually his game isn't that bad. Like, some of the adjusted numbers over the last little while are actually more impressive than they were at the start when he was getting all the results. So, um, I don't have a ton of, like, he's, you talk to him and he's as hard on himself as anyone. Um, there are things I know that, that he wants to, to tighten up and he'd like to get a few more of these results, but, when I look at when I look at the numbers, I'm, it, it's not that bad. Like it's still, you know, above what you'd expect for your backup goaltender. Like he's giving them what they need. I have no qualms. And yet, when the wins don't come, the questions get asked, and, and including of himself. So, which is kind of what you want. You want a guy that that's sort of fighting and battling and not complacent with, hey, I played good enough, just didn't get the win tonight, but. Um, obviously, he'd like to see some of those things turn around a little bit. Do you think he's a pending UFA that the Canucks could try at least to bring back, realistically bring back, or do you think they'll just hand over the reins to Archer Seelovs next season? That's uh, my my hunch is the latter, but I mean he's been so good for them, and we've seen the importance of it. Yeah, I, I guess the the real question will be what the market dictates in terms of you know, price for him and whether they can afford it with all the other things they have to do. Uh, I would expect that, that the combination of Silovs maybe needing a shot, like that's the thing, the other thing you look around the league, like you can't leave them down there forever, mm-hmm. right? Like you eventually need to figure out if they can swim at this level because you have to make a decision on them. And I would think the fact that Arturs doesn't cost you as much combined with that need that would be my, my first instinct and likely where they would go. Now, you still need to sign somebody to sort of be in that three-hole, that in case of emergency mm. break glass option because you no longer have a young guy sort of that you know is capable, and that's what Arturs has given them this year. We saw it last year, right? Like, you've got a guy down there who, if something happens, you know he's capable of stepping in at the NHL level and giving you good minutes. They'd have to go find that, I think, next season, but you can do that a lot cheaper than the cost of re-signing Casey DeSmith. So could you bring in a veteran guy and then have Seelovs as the backup and then Tolopilo is the guy you're developing next season in Abbotsford, but you also have a veteran guy maybe with a little bit of NHL experience that just in case things start to go sideways for Seelovs that you bring, it, bring up the veteran guy? Or just in case somebody gets hurt too, right? Like, I mean, mm. the reality is, you know, knock on wood as I say this, but there's a lot of teams around the league that, ha- you know, will tell you you can't count on two, you need three, maybe four. And, and mm. frankly, in the past couple of seasons before this one, the Canucks are, were among them. So um, I, think, I think you need that regardless. Um, and, and it wouldn't even, wouldn't even be so much. I, I, it would be, to me, it would be more just injury protection as, as so much as, you know, what if Arturs can't, uh, can't handle it? Because the thing we saw in his starts last year, like I just loved how he improved every time out. Like the first one was a little bit rough, and he steadied himself so quickly. Like that's – we don't get to see – we can talk about, you know, what goes on between the pipes and the technical and all that. It's, it's there for everyone to see. You can't see between the ears, um, but you get opportunities to sort of see how they handle situations. And the way he handled that one, you know, speaks to sort of the mental composure that he seems to have. Did we watch the top two goalies in the NHL Saturday? Were the Flames in town? <laughs> no, um, honestly, you watch two of them, right? Like, the, the guy who's in that mix, and I say this after he got pulled on, what, four on 12 in Calgary the other night, like, the other guy that's in that conversation is Jacob Markstrom. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been 
going into Saturday's action, and I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but going into Saturday's action, goals saved above expected. So, you know, based on shot quality, you know, what the average goal in the NHL should save and how much better has your goalie been than that, Demko was number two at 17. Markstrom was over 26. Like, he had, like Demko was a little below 17. Markstrom was over 26. Demko will be lower than that now based on the Jets game. Like, we're talking about a 10-goal gap between first and second. And that's why I have any, as much as knowing general managers, he may not even be a finalist this year, every Vesna conversation needs to include Jacob Markstrom. His expected save percentage is in the 870s. I think it's like it was 874 last I checked. Um, he is just outperforming a really bad defense. And this is, this, is why, this is why this is such a tough decision for the Flames. Not just can they hang around in the playoff mix, because that's starting to get less and less likely. Mm. But you know, Dustin Wolf, after all the success he's had in the American Hockey League, struggling in the NHL this season, yeah, because they're that bad defensively. Like, they're, they're bottom five in the NHL defensively. And so to ask or expect that everything Dustin Wolf is doing in the American League is going to just immediately translate to the NHL behind a team that gives up as much as they do, like that's the second part of this equation. You, you sort of don't leave yourself a safety net for your top prospect, and there's a lot of high expectations. And I don't know that they're realistic because of how good Markstrom's been. Like expecting anyone to come in and give you that type of goaltending, it kind of reminds me of the Canucks two years ago, right? Like, if you need goaltending that good to just sort of hang around and be mediocre and have a chance at the playoffs, you're not a very good team. And that's where the Flames find themselves right now. Is the narrative in Calgary that the Flames uh, wanted to be a more fun team and that's why they got a new coach and freedom uh, for the players after Daryl Sutter's ways and uh, lo and behold, they're not great defensively anymore? Yeah, I mean, there were some system changes uh, in terms of you know, how they defended in their own end. Uh, so some structural things that I think it's fair to say would, are gonna, we're going to take time anyways. Like, because when you're sorting that out in your own end defensively, sort of who's got what and how you're supposed to handle things, like we've seen it around the league. When you make those changes, hell, look at the Oilers at the start of the season, right? Like, um, they were horrific in terms of what they were giving up. Dead last in the league off the rush because they changed their neutral zone forecheck, and you combine that with some selfish play and, and woeful decisions in terms of turnovers that led to odd man rushes. Like, so I don't know if it's just the fun thing, Jason. Like, I think there's, there's an element of adjustments. I always thought they'd maintain some of the DNA, that defensive DNA that was built into them by Sutter, but it seems to have gone out the window, and I, I guess I just can't figure out how much of each one factors in. There's probably a little bit of both. So, so given uh, what you're saying about how good Jacob Markstrom has been, and, you know, we've heard that the Devils and the Flames may have been pretty advanced in talks for the Devils to acquire uh, Markstrom, maybe those those talks are dead for now. But, you know, I know you always stress it's not just as simple as going out and getting a good goalie. They have to they have to fit the, the system that the team uh, is playing. But how motivated should the Devils be to go out and get Jacob Markstrom? Would that be a really good fit in New Jersey? I mean, Saying it would be a perfect fit and then Jacob could replicate everything he's doing uh, in Calgary after getting traded to New Jersey would be a stretch. The reality is there's a ton of uncertainty, right? Like the individual tendencies and how he reads off them and how long it takes him to get comfortable. Like that's, there's no way you can say for sure. But when you check the underlying profile of what they give up and they're – you know, are they Calgary Flames bad defensively, 27th in the NHL and all the sort of high-danger underlying categories? No. 
but they're in the 20s. Like, they're a bottom half of the NHL team defensively in New Jersey. And so they're a team that needs goaltending to sort of stand on its head. Like, they're not a team. They're not the LA Kings. You know, they're not the Maple Leafs of years past. They're not the Oilers right now. Like, where they're so good defensively, they just need the goaltending not to, mm. not to lose them games. They need heroics. And Jacob Markstrom, and when you go through all the different types of scoring chances, breakaways. The Devils give up, like, the second most breakaways in the National Hockey League. Markstrom's, like, plus seven goals on breakaways this season. And the guys in New Jersey are, like, minus five. There's, like, 12 or 13 goals right there. Um, Some of the categories that they are worse at defensively and also aren't getting saves in, he stands out at. Those are strengths of his game. So I... It's a fit in that way. And you know why the other way it's a fit? Like, because we've heard the Saros talk as well. Markstrom had six. Unless you're worried about him falling off a cliff when, at the next birthday for some reason, Markstrom had six for the next two seasons at a time when teams are going to have to make decisions like, do we pay UC Saros eight or eight and a half million like Sorokin and, and Hellebuck make? Like, him at six is a pretty good deal. Um, I almost did a double take the other day when, like, I knew the Canucks – I was pretty aware that the Canucks were having a good season, right? Like, I'd heard it from time to time. But um, a lot of it had been focused on their offense and how many goals they were scoring. When I went to rank the teams in terms of goals against, I was almost shocked to see the Canucks at number three in the NHL. The Jets are first, the Panthers are second, and then you've got the Canucks with the goals against of 2.57. Um Tell us a bit about the behind-the-scenes numbers on how the Canucks have been defending in front of their all-star goalie, Thatcher Demko, because I thought they'd be much improved, like maybe 10th or 11th in the NHL, but man, I know they've got a lot of shutouts, but all the way up to third in the NHL, I don't know if this is getting enough attention. Well, it's, I mean, this was my question coming into the season. Because after Tockett took over last year, five-on-five, high danger against, and and, and I look mostly at that because two things. That's how goals get scored. Um, The high danger chances matter the most. And also five-on-five high danger tends to be the one that's an indicator of playoff success. And it has been for the last number of years. Like that, you, you win that matchup, that metric, you tend to win in the postseason. And when ta- since Tocca took over last year, like at the end of, towards the end of last season, they were fourth. Like their defensive environment was night and day better after the coaching change. I just wasn't sure if he could keep it up. And he's act- it's actually gotten better. Well, I guess overall it's, it's fifth high danger five-on-five five against, second high danger five-on-five five off the rush. Uh, PK has gotten better. It's mid pack at 18th. In zone, they still there's still some too many great A's in there. It's the 21st. But the rush ones are the ones that matter most. I just talked about the Oilers, right? When they were a tire fire, it was all off the rush. After the coaching change in Edmonton, they went from dead last high danger off the rush to first high danger off the rush, rush since. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, their goaltenders can stop the puck again. We shouldn't. You know, we shouldn't be, like, looking, you know, who can they trade for to fix their goaltending because it's what's going on in front of them. The Canucks have been a top-five defensive team all year long outside the penalty kill, and I think when Susie's been healthy, the penalty kill, that's where you see those blips up where the underlying actually matches the performance, and we've seen some of the rise in their penalty kill members. So outside of the PK, they've been, they've been full value 
not just goaltending, but full value as a team for those defensive numbers you talk about. And that's really encouraging, um, regardless of goaltending, because that's, you know, that, that's what gives Thatcher Demko a chance, even if he's just playing the same as he was the last couple of seasons, to be in the Vesna conversation, whereas it was too easy to overlook him because the environment was too bad the past couple of years, especially two years ago. On the other end of the ice, uh, Woodley, and, you know, we've heard Rick Tockett speak a little bit recently about he wants the, the top six to have more heavy shifts, right, be more connected, you know, even comparing them to the Garland line. And, you know, we were talking earlier in the show, it's not as if it's a panic situation or anything for the top six, but are they clicking – uh, at the level where you really want to see them. I, again, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, but what are you seeing? What do the numbers say about the offensive performance for the Canucks and especially the top six right now? Yeah, I don't. I, you know what? I, like, I have the ability. Everything we do for goaltending at ClearSight Analytics, we can do for players. Yeah. So in terms of the high danger that, that goalies are facing, you can you can break that down on a player standpoint. I just, to be honest, I'm the goalie guy. I don't spend a lot of time on it, so I haven't <laughs> got that broken down. Overall, as a team, like, that's not as flattering. They, you know, this the... I, you know, the talk about PDO and shooting percentage, like they outperform what they create. And now I do think there are some micro stats where they create better. And I think we've some, seen some examples like, you know, I know a lot of people look, for example, the Detroit game and listen, like Alex Lyon wasn't great for the Red Wings and that helped the Vancouver get off to a good lead. But the JT Miller goal uh, after the, the terrible turnover by Petrie, like that screen. And I even had this conversation with Alex Lyon and he was swearing at himself for, for some of the other goals. But that one, that's a hat tip. Like Brock Besser, uh, the way he screened, the way he sort of moved right through Lion's eyes as a moving screen or what we call a flash screen just as JT's releasing it, like that's one where the other goalie's like, that was a hell of a screen and a hell of a play. And so I think there are times uh, and instances where those type of plays, and, and this is why I, I would back up some of the calls for Besser to be back net front on the power play because that's where he was so effective before and the way he used to work with JT and terms of getting the goalie to switch sides and move his eyes right before a release comes like some very effective stuff that uh, it's like oh they got a sh- they got another goal from distance and it's like no if you break it down like they created that and they were full value for it and that's a high danger chance some screen chances have a 40 percent chance of going in like if you can create the right type of screen environment that's that shot is a very very high danger grade a plus plus chance and they've done a really good job of that but overall you know, they still grade out you know, off the rush. They're not giving anything up, but they're 24th in what they create. They're 16th overall five on five. And the one that's a little bit concerning is the power play, which was, you know, generating at a sort of top five and for a long stretch, even top three earlier in the season, it slipped all the way to ninth. And I think that's where, to me, that's the takeaway on Saturday night. Well, a couple of things. Obviously, everyone's going to talk about chasing the hit and Juleson. Um, and I think there's other moments in there. I thought they were lucky not to start the third period down five on three. Uh, when the temperature raises, you have to be able to maintain your composure, and I thought they were lucky that JT wasn't the only one to go late in the second period on that hit through Shifley. Um, so instances like that are one of the takeaways, like like learning how to sort of manage that in big moments in big games where one mistake could be the difference, um, but also special teams. Uh, PK, it's funny because the first one sort of set up the second one for 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 the Jets in terms of down low, score short side, and then the second time when they go down low, Demko's strong into his post, but the puck's already being passed out to the mm. middle, the quick pop pass. And so, but if you talking to Velarde afterwards, he missed his first shot, so he was trying to go short side shelf on that backhand, and Demko read it 
and so he lifted up to try and protect the top of the net, and Velarde admittedly in the post game when I talked to him whiffed, and that's why it goes underneath Demko's blocker. So a bit of a tough break there. Thatcher was perfect with his read, and Greg's probably like nodding along in the producer's booth there because you know as a goalie, when you make a perfect read and the guy misses his shot and it goes in, it's the worst. Like there's nothing worse. Well, didn't Monaghan um, kind of kind of like knuckleball his in too? Yeah, I mean, but but that's to me the difference there is like again because as soon as that puck goes down to the goal line, Demko's into his reverse on the short side post, and he wasted no time with a pop pass. And I don't think Monaghan needs to hammer that as long as he goes against the grain. So Demko's pushing out to him off his post, and he shoots it back the other way. I think even if he didn't get all of it, the location and the fact that he went against the grain in that instance was just, you know, that, that's one, again, to me, that's a tip your hat. That's a hell of a play. Uh, you don't necessarily need to rip it in order to have that go in. It was more based on the circumstance and location. But the first one was a tough break. I guess the overall thing, like, I'm not, what I'm saying is I'm not so much worried about the PK, uh, on that night because it was more circumstantial. But, you know, and talk, talked about this even it, Thursday about, you know, who cares if the power play scores two goals when you're up 5-1? I needed to score or generate in, in sort of crunch time and big moments. And going over against the Jets on a night where they gave up two shorthanded, you know, to me that's the difference in the game and, and sort of the takeaway, the things that – they're going to need, like, you're, you're going to need to, especially when things get tougher and, you're, and it's hard to find five-on-five five goals, especially against a team as stingy as the Jets and a goalie as good as Hellebuck, you're going to need your power play to come through for you and, and generate more than they did on a lot of those chances. Hey, Kev, uh, just a couple minutes, but what's the uh, goalie gossip saying about the future of Marc-Andre Fleury? I mean, I don't have a window inside. You guys need Russo on, the, the expert of all things Minnesota, to tell you what's going on uh, in terms of whether they will, whether he wants to, whether he's willing to. And I think at this stage of his career, with his family situation, he's earned the right to sort of call his shot. But, like, to me, this guy can still play. I know it didn't go well for in the playoffs for him last year, but since the coaching change in Minnesota, his adjusted numbers sort of crept into the top 15 in the league. Uh, his raw numbers don't look great. Uh, that's because he's gotten a lot of the crap sandwiches, right? Like he's the backup there. And so they've fed him into a lot of tough starts where, you know, if you're just looking at the raw numbers or the game sheets, it doesn't look great. But you look at the adjusted numbers and this guy's still playing at a really, really high level. And, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, as long as the health allows it, um, I don't see any, and he wants to, I actually don't see any reason. I know we've had a lot of sort of farewells and last, potentially last game here and potentially last game there. But as long as the hips are holding up um, and there might be some questions there, uh, to me, this guy can continue playing and playing at a high level. And so if I'm a team that needs an insurance policy or a guy, like if I'm not sure about my number one and might need to throw the – like. I'd be all over Marc-Andre Fleury. He checks a lot of boxes, too, because he's done it before. Mm -hmm. Guys who have been traded before and gone through the process, it's easier the second time adjusting to a new team. Kev, awesome stuff, buddy. Enjoy the game today. Yeah, enjoy it. Yes, I hope you guys can enjoy it more having had an extra hour's sleep. Yes, absolutely. We probably will. (laughs) I think that's right. I'm going to bump my nap back a couple hours. See you, buddy. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Skip the nap, go for a walk. I already had the dog out for an hour. It is wow. gorgeous, sunny, beautiful Vancouver weather. You know what? It's a preview of what it's going to be like around here in the playoffs. I, I can't wait. Fantastic. Thanks, Kevin.
Take care, guys. Kevin Woodley on Sportsnet 650, brought to you by White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George and White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. Okay, we've got a few what we learns to share, and hopefully the Dunbar Lumber text line starts filling up with what we learns from the listeners. Uh, we'll read them all on the other side of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. Welcome back. Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. Final segment of the show on a holiday Monday here leading into the Canucks pregame coverage uh, with Sat and Bick today. Dan Riccio on the call again, filling in uh, for Brendan Batchelor. So you'll hear Reach on the call at 11 when they play the Wild. Uh, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura de- dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. We'll take your submissions for what we learned 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Before we get to those, uh, we have some here. Bruff, you want to start us off? Yeah, I learned that JT Miller was on After Hours with uh, Scott Oak and DT on Saturday night. Um, I didn't watch it right after the game, but I watched it yesterday on sportsnet.ca and I always enjoy those conversations with JT Miller. I find him really entertaining. I find him thoughtful and insightful. He's kind of grumpy, but in a funny way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like, Like you can, you can tell he's, he's the kind of guy that will be like, Oh, my family's driving me crazy. But like, he loves his family, right? Like loves, loves, loves having the kids around. And like, if you were to ask, you know, but he's just like, Oh, they're driving me crazy. That, that, that type of guy. Um, you know, he played his, uh, his, I guess he was asked a question about whether he would fight current Rick Tockett or in his prime Rick Tockett. And he chose, the latter, or the, sorry, the, uh, former, the, the older, yeah. yeah, the older, the latter Rick Tockett, uh, the older Rick Tockett. Um, but it was like, I don't want to fight Rick Tockett. <laughs> I don't want it in any circumstance. Yeah. JT's a good interview. When yeah, like, yeah. He, There are times, I think, especially post game or on a walk off or something, if the game hasn't gone well, where understandably mm-hmm. he's not as, uh, as forthcoming because there's the emotional element. But when he's in the right, Headspace. Uh, he gives really good answers, thoughtful answers. Inter- yeah. you'll learn things about hockey. He's not just he's Miller. not just saying no. what he thinks you want to hear. Um, I remember asking about um, like, are you excited about the possibility of maybe playing in the Olympics for your country? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the typical would be like, oh, it'd be awesome. To, you know, every time you get to yep. represent your country, he's like, I haven't given it one thought. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all okay. right, all right, <laughs> cool. Um, I thought it was interesting what he had to say about Rick Tocca, besides the part about fighting him. Um, he was just very complimentary of the head coach. He said, Tocca has done so much for me, 
talking and I, uh, we have a really honest relationship. Sometimes it's not pretty, but I'm okay and comfortable in that environment and I'm still learning. There is nothing I feel like I can't tell the guy and he's the same way with me. We're a lot alike in the sense of the emotion. So I guess there is moments on the bench when there's a, hey, we good type of thing afterwards, but that's great. I need somebody like that. And he makes this team want to run a hole in a wall. I, I think we can see that the Canucks play hard yeah. for Rick Tockett. And a lot of it because Rick Tockett has them prepared. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've probably all Googled up old Rick Tockett mm. videos and been like, you know, our coach just isn't like telling us to do this because he's telling us to do this. He's telling us to do this because he's walked the walk before and his style works. Rick Tockett was a winner when he was in the NHL. He was on some very good teams. I and think, you want to stand like up. I think the other thing with Rick Tockett is, you know, we often think of like, oh, this is a new a new school coach or a players coach, and you think of it as being really easy on the players. But I think what Rick Tockett does is he can be hard on them, he can be tough on them, but he's not gratuitous, right? He's not like the Mike Babcock school where you're almost like waging school, yeah, yeah, like psychological yeah. warfare on your players. Yeah. He earns the ability to be tough on them by also putting in the work, by also mm-hmm protecting like he doesn't throw guys under the bus in the media right he doesn't criticize them in the media I think he does both parts of that right the more players coach stuff and the more disciplinarian stuff really really well in a way that works for the players and I think especially just putting in the work he work you can tell he works really really hard he's and always wants his guys about to succeed yeah. yeah and I think that goes a long way to get the players to buy in well Mook how that head coach of the year ah. Uh, all right, mine, uh, I learned that uh, NBA, the NBA All-Star Weekend is in crisis, and especially the game, the main event itself. So All-Star Weekend in India, Indianapolis over the weekend, uh, Eastern Conference wins the game, a 211 to 186 final score. And if you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of points, yeah, uh, that's a record for points scored in an All-Star game, the Eastern Conference individually, total points as well. And you might think, oh, wow, like so much scoring, that's what an All-Star game is supposed to be. That must have been really fun and exciting. Uh, Here's Adam Silver not sounding excited about it after the game. And to the Eastern Conference All-Stars, you scored the most points. Well... Congratulations. Giannis. (laughs) Scintillating. You can feel the emotion there from Adam Silver. And what I didn't really know is that Adam Silver, because last year's game was also not exciting, not entertaining, no defense, no competitiveness whatsoever. Silver had spent a long time talking about, okay, we're going to make this this year's is going to be different. I'm talking to the players. We're going to get them to buy in. We're going to get them to really, you know, give some effort in this all-star game because it's important. (laughs) He had really staked a lot on it, and then they went out and were, like, flagrantly worse than they've ever been in the past. What was the final score? 211 to 186. Got to tighten up on defense. So, Bruff actually, when we were before the show this morning, Bruff was like, did they make a format change or something? Like, how did the points get? No. I was like, was it double points in the second (laughs) half or something? Was there a money ball involved? Just a normal normal game. I think the Eastern Conference shot, like, 98 three-pointers in a 48-minute game. That sounds awful to watch. It's just a joke. And it wasn't even – it's not even like it's like Harlem Globetrotter cool behind-the-back passes and dunks and stuff. It's just guys standing around chucking threes from all over the court. It's super boring. 
the the skills portion of the night, the slam dunk contest, I mean, a G-leaguer won it for the second straight year. People <laughs> thought they were trying to rig it for Jalen Brown so they could convince yeah. stars to go back in the dunk contest It isn't again. quite MJ versus uh, no. um, Dominique anymore. No, right? not quite. And it's just the whole weekend, people were just angry and bored about it and i don't know what they do like, i do how I do. do you convince people to take it seriously do the globetrotters thing and you're only allowed to score a point in the game if you do a cool trick you're not allowed no three joke. pointers no layups like it, it has to be something cool but that's all that you clearly didn't watch the game because well you're saying a million but no it's like a million three pointers yeah it's just like it gets old out like do something cool yeah but like, even that but 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 failed alley-oops is not fun to watch yeah either, it's like the know? fun for the first few minutes and then you're like Ugh. the only way to make it entertaining is he's spinning a ball <laughs> on his finger just take it <laughs> the only thing that makes it entertaining is if guys actually try. And as we've seen in the NHL, I mean, the NFL did away with theirs. They're like, we're not yeah. even doing a real Pro Bowl. We're doing like flag football anymore because it's such a joke. And yet I saw the Islanders were just awarded the 2026 mm-hmm. NHL All-Star game. Of course, thank God there won't be one next year uh, because they're doing the Four Nations tournament. But apparently they're still going to do an All-Star game before the Olympics. And they're doing it a, as a – they want to make it a send-off to the Olympics. So they're going to try to give it some more interna- international flavor, which is so funny to me because if it's mostly guys who are going to the Olympics. They're like, I don't yeah. want to do this. Well, it's like, now yeah, it's we're, like, we're going to try even less yeah, to not like, get injured. I definitely yeah. don't want to yeah. try hard and get injured. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to the Olympics. Yeah, I'd love I to get injured to right go. before my Olympics. Love to do that. <laughs> yeah. What? That's awesome. A bunch of boozy nights with sponsors and other players. Great. This <laughs> yeah, will be terrific great. for my prep. That's what I want to yeah. do right before I represent my country. Okay, give us a new cow. The new moo cow. Uh, I got what we learned. Laddie, go. Uh, I received a lot of flack on this particular program from unnamed people about an incident that happened earlier in the season where Rick Tockett did not challenge for a clear goalie interference call that would have saved his goaltender, Thatcher Demko, a shutout. May end up costing him a Vesna down the road. May end up costing him a better contract down the road. Who knows? May end up costing him the shutout season record for the Canucks this year. Well, someone agrees with me because Sheldon Keefe for the Leafs on the weekend challenged a goal against the Coach Ducks. Coach of the year, Sheldon Keefe. Up He's eight, definitely got control of the situation. Eight to one. Of his team. They were leading eight to one, and he challenged for goaltender interference and one to keep the score 8-1. So he obviously thinks it's an important thing to challenge. Were you the watching the game? High. I was watching the game. Of the, I was watching. laughing my head off when it happened. What was the Ducks' reaction, and what, what did the broadcasters say? There wasn't really much discussion about it from what I remember. They just... Played it, it off like so it was another. Too, after all the like, oh, it's the code. You just don't do that in that situation about scoring on the slap yeah. shot. Then here's the Leafs turn around. They're up 8-1, and they decide <laughs> they're going to try to run up the score. Now, Eddie Lack went bit. in my mentions and said it might be because of goal differential for playoff positioning, but isn't that like the fourth tiebreaker? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think that's ever going to come down to I goal do, I will say, I would respect the Leafs more if they just leaned all the way into we don't respect the code. We're going to be the jerks. Mm-hmm. We're going to take slappers into the empty net. Screw the code. Instead of trying to act all tough and the more petty, about the better. It, Matthew, Matthew needs a pettiness. Matthews needs a bigger mustache that he can curl yeah, and just start to play into with being them. Annoying punks. Like at least give yourself some identity that doesn't feel like you're just like trying to convince yourself. I would respect that more. Who's in goal? Was it Samsonov? Or Martin no, it was Jones. Martin Jones. Okay, for the, for the Leafs. All right. Yeah. So that that happened on the weekend. Uh, who were the goalies for the Ducks there, uh, Gibson? It and... was Dustell that started, and then okay. Gibson came in and did not do any better because they were all backdoor tap-ins with no defense <laughs> in front. 
every God, single the goal. The Ducks, man. It man was like, you're starting to see some really bad teams now. Like the Coyotes kind of hung in there for a bit, but the wheels are pretty much well, the Kings open. even down a peg from what they were at the start of the year. Yeah, but I wouldn't classify them as a bad team. No. You know? Um, at any rate. The Blackhawks, obviously, without Bedard, were absolutely terrible. The Ducks might even, like, the Sharks might catch the Ducks this year, which is wild when mm-hmm. you think about how bad San Jose was uh, to start the season. Uh, nothing from you, hey, Doc. All right. Uh, print out the, uh, the humanoid submissions then. What we learned brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most at GetFirePlan.com. Comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation. Get $200 off today. Oh, my God. We're having a fire plan. Sorry, there's a lot my of bad. nonsense on No, Ad- I love that Administrative drop. nonsense. I enjoy it very much normally when I'm listening, so that's uh, 100%. A hundred percent on me. Do you have one from the inbox? Yes, Austin and Langley. What we learned: six fifty, really getting a depth test here down the stretch. Sat and Dan calling the game. Bick on TV. Halford on LTIR, not LTIR, just regular IR. Uh, And then Austin said, "Notice Drancer hasn't gotten the call." Yeah, Drancer is like on assignment. Yes. Um, So he's not covering the games but he is on assignment i don't want to say where he is because it might be like a surprise for the athletic or whatever um but he is traveling right now um yet there's a drancer's special ops <laughs> for 650 yeah yeah well drancer is a little bit <laughs> like ops um, there, there has to be the right fit you can't just drop drancer into any situation or any <laughs> it's, show it's, you know what i mean parachuted into hostile territory what would be your one piece of advice if someone had never worked with drancer as um, a partner on the show. Yes. And they were like, I'm a little apprehensive about, or I just want to, I just want, not apprehensive, I just want to do, I want to make this a good show. What would be the one piece of advice that you would give to working with Drancer? Oh, man, that's a very, very tough, uh, that's a very, very tough question. I would say just try, like, do your best to keep the show on the rails, right? right. Because... Drancer, the good thing about working with Drancer is he's he knows he knows the Canucks really well inside out, right? Yeah. So you can, but sometimes maybe he gets a little uh, off on a tangent or something. So Lost just always try minutia. to steer it, yeah, steer it back, have a vague direction where you're going, which people <laughs> might be listening and saying like, "You're terrible at that." On the how show, the Jamie. jerseys look good because they match. Yeah, the yeah, night, yeah, yeah. But like cities, as long as you do lights, that, just, your, your job is just to kind of like. Keep it vaguely in the yeah. in the in the general. Trance has an aside for most asides yeah. that he is <laughs> exactly on. exactly. Uh, Justin in East Van, what we learned, what we learned, the Boston Bruins peaked too soon since their game against the Canucks. The Bees have lost four games in a row. Yeah, and don't forget they came out of the All Star break with a stinker against Calgary. So they had that good game against the Canucks, and what that is all resulted in, combined with the Tampa Bay Lightning getting bombed nine to two by the Florida Panthers is that we could be looking at a first round of Leafs and Bruins. Now, some of you might not care about that. I do because I think those series have been incredibly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like fun to watch from a, who am I cheering for yeah. here? Um, I also think these two teams, unless Brad's living makes a bunch of moves, will go into that series with like, major holes like they will both be very imperfect teams and I know a lot of people will be like oh the Bruins are going to dominate them if you stack up the center depth of the Leafs versus the Bruins 
you're taking the Leafs. But if you take the blue line of the Bruins versus the blue line of the Leafs, you're definitely taking the Bruins, right? Yes, 100%. No, no doubt about the blue line. And the thing with the Bruins is, as much as they were having this incredible season earlier in the year, you know, for all the talk about, like, oh, PDO and regression about the Canucks, the Bruins were a prime candidate for that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Like, their underlying Absolutely. numbers were not nearly as impressive they are not as what their record had been. nearly as good as they were last season. Yeah, so I think both of those teams are kind of lesser versions of themselves, but... I still think the the potential for like maximum psychological damage for Leafs fans exists in that series because of the ghosts of the past. So that would be a positive. Yeah, Seeing if the Marshawn Leafs- were to take them out again. Yes. Or what if the Leafs were able to get over the hump against the Bruins? Would that mean anything to I them? I don't know though because they already got over the hump of the first round and then they but got not against the Bruins. By- yeah, but like would okay, that make so that's- a difference? I don't think so. No. It- if that's your problem then you're just broken beyond repair, basically. You know what I mean? It's like, how many humps do you need to get over? You want a round? Just deal with it. Just be a normal team. Stop, like, worrying about these ghosts in your head and from your past. Just go out there and play hockey. We're a one-hump team. I just feel like they I'm can't, like they can't yeah. get out of their own way yeah. in Toronto. Uh, what we learned from Rob and Surrey. One hump. One hump. Uh, <laughs> one hump, laddie, yeah. He's a one-humper. Man, when I was younger, it was more. But now, <laughs> just one. <laughs> Stamina. Uh, what we learned. Robin, Sorry, what's this in reference? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Robin Surrey says, what I've learned is that I'm no longer the only man on the island that I've been sitting on alone since 2018 as the rose-colored glasses are starting to come off the sheep in Canuck Nation as they realize that Petey isn't the all-around player perennial selkie candidate that everyone initially thought he was. Hashtag overrated. That's from Robin Surrey. Rob Coming usually, in hot. Yeah, Rob, Rob is good at delivering the spice. Yeah, the hot take there uh, well, from Robin Surrey. Defensively, um, the two-way game that we've seen from Petey uh, in the past hasn't been there this year. So, But that's, that's where I would take issue with Rob's text because he's saying, no, this is always what the two-way game has been yeah, for Patterson, and people just didn't believe it. No, no, no. He has been excellent defensively at other points in his career for the Canucks. That part of his game has 100% sl- uh, slipped here. And I just keep, you know, we touched on this a little bit in the first segment, but the thing I keep coming back to with all of these questions that keep coming up with uh, Elias Pettersson, you know, that Rob has, that other people have, like you're mentioning the consistency. Well, like, what's the what's the end game? What's the takeaway? Is the idea that, like, and therefore they shouldn't sign him to a contract? Because I see people texting, you know, he's not worth $12 million. Like, don't give him a cent over nine. That's all he's worth. You're not going to win. It's like, well, so you want to trade him? Because mm-hmm. to me... Look, you can maybe you have a debate. Is the total value there to make him worth a twelve and a half million dollar contract? That's a fair debate. But you don't get to decide between keeping Elias Pettersson and paying him twelve and a half or keeping him and paying him nine million. That's yeah. not the decision. I've, I've seen some people text in if like I wouldn't go anything over than eight and a half million. Yeah. It's like, like, well then you're not well, keeping then you're not getting so, the, it. so the you've made the is, you have actually made the decision. The choice is not Elias Pettersson expensive yeah. or Elias Pettersson cheap. It's Elias Pettersson expensive or no Elias Pettersson. And even all these questions that people have about him, even if you think they're fair, I don't see how you get closer to winning a Stanley Cup by opting for no Elias Pettersson over expensive Elias Pettersson. There was only 1,100-plus point players last year. so And he's going to do it again this year. Yeah, so, I, I actually mean, haven't gone down the road of thinking or trying to come up with what the Canucks could get for him in a trade. Have you? 
maybe, but I'm a I'm a sicko like that. But uh, not really. Like I haven't like I haven't been like scouting packages from teams mm-hmm. that would be interested or anything like that. Here's the thing. I mean, it would be a lot of cap space to play with. It would. I mean, I I, I think for example, um, and these are apples and oranges comparisons. Like I think the Penguins would have been smarter to spend the ten million dollar cap space that they took on for Eric Carlson on other things. Right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a fair conversation to have. We know how important cap space is, plus you're gonna get some pretty good assets, right? If you if you do trade him. So I think you would get l- listen. I don't, I, mean, I, mean, I don't think there's a I don't think there's a recent comp in terms of a trade package. Yeah. It would be such a unique situation. Would you would Elias du- Patterson. I mean Dubois wouldn't even come close no, to it. No, it's a completely different stratosphere of player. Mm-hmm. Uh Matt, not on the island, is mad at me. He says, So the Canucks slaying the dragon meant nothing? What a terrible take about Toronto beating Boston. It would be one thing if the Leafs were constantly losing to the Bruins year after year. Yeah. But they've lost to a whole bunch of different teams. And it was never if you listen to the people in Toronto, it was never can they beat the Bruins? It was can they get out of the first round? Yeah. They it, lost it wasn't to the team specific. It they, was they lost to the Habs. Columbus. To, yeah. Like, they'd lost over and over and over again to these teams. It had nothing to do with the Bruins specifically. Mm-hmm. If it was the Bruins beating them year after year, then yeah, sure, go slay that dragon. But it's completely different from the situation the Canucks were in uh, with the Blackhawks. Um, what we learned unsigned uh, after the Dakota-Joshua fight and the PDG fight is that Rick Tockett needs to give the boys a few pointers in fighting. Yeah, like in Youngblood when his dad takes him out into the barn and teaches him how to fight. I think they're all too scared to get in the ring with. Yeah, uh, J- well, talk, JT talk doesn't want any part of that. Talk about to have like old school things that, like you can't do anymore. Like Mo is talking like, yeah. and Adam Foot have yeah, a Fight Club. Yeah, 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 we used talking and Foot's Fight Club. What was the stinger? come down to the basement? We'll teach you. Oh was, no, God! What was the stinger with that Mo? Ah, they call this the stinger. Yeah, We're not allowed to use that no more. On his, uh, on his boxing yeah. glove. Yeah, yeah, they don't let you use that no more. There, there is. If you go in, I've said this before on the show. Like if you. Go to YouTube and search Talk It. I think it was Probert that he fought. Talk It is headbutting him. Yeah, he's an animal. Yeah. It was just, it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. And Talk It looks like he's got a big head too, right? Like, like that, you know. Like- First it was Kid Gorgeous and Kid Presentable. <laughs> now it's Kid Mo. My favorite part of that is like, oh, what happened to your career? It's like, oh, I got knocked out 37 times in a row. Plus it's politics. All politics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Russ and Kits, I'm going to have to trust you on this reporting, Russ. What we learned, I learned that several of the Canucks players believe Zadorov and Miller have the biggest bromance on the team, and that is as per Kate Pedersen, the team reporter's post on Twitter slash X. Did you see anything about this? I have this? not seen this. I, I know I they do the those tweet. things where they go, yeah. or maybe it's at the at the game on the, the Jumbotron where they have mm. little things like where they'll go like, you know, who's got the biggest bromance on the team and then the players will say whatever or who spends the most time on their screens or whatever. They'll have questions like that just to get to know the players a little bit. Yep. That would make sense, I guess. I can see that. But guys with outsized personalities, I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say, you know, like you can Sometimes guys those guys can, circle each other though. Like they're just it's like true. I don't like this guy. He's you loud. See, I'm getting less words in. You can see the emotion uh, on display on the ice. I don't know if Miller would uh, would drop the gritty on an opponent like Zadorov did, but maybe maybe Miller respects that. Zadorov's Do you think Miller knows what that. the gritty is? I think now he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. before I very much doubt that he knew what it was. Uh Colin and Tawasson, as we close out the show, what we learned, Mike Halford is the glue that holds the administrator of nonsense wow. together whenever someone tries to cover for him like Bruff on his own on Friday or during vacations. No one else. 
can keep up with it despite the dog's best efforts to help them out. You know who else can't keep up with it? Mike Halford. But get better, buddy. Uh, Halford will be back uh, probably next week. He's got a lower body injury. Yeah. Maybe he'll tell you the story when he gets back. Um, thank you, Jamie, for filling in. You'll be with me yes. all week. And thank you to the dogs, as always. You guys were adequate. Uh, the Canucks have a game coming up at 11 a.m., so the pregame show is coming up next on Sportsnet 650. You've been listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.